You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. This is episode number 30, and I'm your host, Parker McDonald. Today, we're talking to Jeff Jones of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And we're going to talk about everything that backcountry hunters and anglers is a part of and what they do to protect our public lands as well as something that we're right in the middle of right now and that is the Natural Resources Management Act. What it is, what it entails, and why it's important to you and me. So we're here at episode number 30, and I am blown away that we are in the 30s now. So every time we do a new episode, I'm just more and more excited about where we are, the things that we've done, all the really cool guests that we've talked to, and kind of the, I think about the milestones that we've hit in that um, sm- such a small amount of time. So um, first off, before we get started with this podcast, just wanted to tell you guys, thank you for your support. It has been absolutely incredible. Um, being a part of something like this, and and, and I've got to say, like we are um, really into a lot of hunting tactics. So if you're a whitetail hunter, we talk a lot about whitetail hunting tactics, and and we tell a lot of stories, and we kind of just bullcrap a lot. Um, and so first off, thank you so much for putting up with that. Hope you guys have learned some stuff. I know I have just in this past. A little bit over a year that we've been doing this podcast. I know I've learned a ton just by talking to some of the people that we've got to talk to. Um, man, it's just been really cool. And and this week was really no different. So as I said in the intro, we talked to Jeff Jones, who is he actually was and I think is currently serving as the state chair of Alabama for, or I'm sorry, the state the the southeast chapter chair um, of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And he's just such a cool dude. He's got lots of fun stories. Um, just a just a really neat guy. Um, but one thing that's a little bit different about this podcast is we don't really talk about hunting tactics and strategies and stuff like that, which is completely out of the norm. We'll go back to doing that. But this is important. Um, we're talking about the Natural Resources Management Act that just um, has passed through the House and the Senate and is maybe by the time this airs will be signed by the president and um, we're gonna I don't want to get too far into it in the intro because we talk a lot about it in the podcast 
but it's so good. There's so much good conversation that happens here. Um, here's, here's the deal, okay? So if you know me, if you've t- had any conversations with me, or you've listened to the podcast, um, basically from the time we started, like I really value production quality of podcasts. And so we started on a high note. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dog Apple for just a second. Um, the new MacBooks just completely suck. And I've got a brand new MacBook. It was like a $3,800 MacBook or something like that. It was stupid expensive. And um, it struggles for whatever reason when I'm recording um, a long recording. So it gets to about 45 minutes and then it starts just doing weird stuff. And I've doctored it a little bit in the past and tried to fix it. Um, basically what I'm saying is, is there are some issues that have happened that happened towards the end of this podcast, actually in the beginning of it. Um, I took all of our podcasting equipment, so a soundboard, three microphones, um, all kinds of junk that really should work. I mean, I paid way too much money for it in the first place, plus having a nice computer. And for whatever reason, the uh, microphones stopped picking up pretty much as soon as we started recording. So it completely bypassed those, and I thought it might because, I don't know, not to get into too much detail, but the new MacBooks are only a USB-C in and you have to use a little dongle to plug in USB stuff. And so it's just absolutely stupid. And all that stuff went out. And so the backup was using just the internal microphone of the computer. And that worked for a little while and you'll be able to tell it's fine. It's okay recording. It's not as good as I'd like it to be, but it's, it's okay. Um, but going about 49 minutes, I think, into the podcast, it starts making this really weird kind of like clicking noise, and you'll hear it. Um, and it's mostly past all of the all of the really, really good conversation that we got into. Um, but about the last 20 minutes or so of the podcast is a little bit annoying um, to listen to it. But hope, hopefully you guys will enjoy it. The content of it is absolutely great. It's really good. Our conversation with Jeff Jones was in, incredible, and, uh, and and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. All that said, I have ordered the things I need to completely bypass recording on my computer. So um, pretty much from this point on, unless something crazy happens, we should be getting really good, solid recordings. Fingers crossed, okay? Fingers crossed. Um, all right, so before we get into the, the rest of this podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to our partners at Onyx, at Tethered, at New Breed, and at Go Wild. So, really neat thing about Go Wild, I just got a message from a guy today, and he literally said, hey, I was listening to the podcast um, heard you talking about Go Wild. I've heard you talking about it. I've just been procrastinating it. And I finally went ahead and downloaded the app. And holy cow, I can't believe that I procrastinated this long. This is a great community. I mean, like, it wasn't verbatim that, but it was pretty dang close. And I thought it was so cool that I was um, I, I was about to record today. And I got that message. I was like, well, I got to say something about that. So that was really cool, and I think you're going to be like this guy. Um, when you go and download it and you start looking and scrolling through the content, it's just some really stinking cool stuff. 
Um, so if you haven't already downloaded the app, go download Go Wild. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's just a social media app for outdoorsmen, for hunters, fishermen, um, cooks, if you like wild game recipes and stuff like that, which BT dubs. Um, uh, wow, I just sound like a teenage girl, I'm sure. Uh, but I smoked the hog that we killed in Georgia. I did a whole hog smoking, if that's what you call it, hog roast. And I just roasted the whole thing, and holy crap, it was freaking delicious. It was so good. The only time that it did not taste good was when I took a bite out of the leftovers and I found the 22 mag bullet that I shot it with. And that was not delicious. And I learned a very valuable lesson that no matter how long, how low and slow you smoke it, lead does not ever taste good. And that is the truth. So, other than that, it was freaking amazing. So, I thought I'd just throw that in. You guys, if you've never smoked a whole hog, freaking go do it. It's the best thing ever. It was so good. I made a lot of a lot of people happy that evening. So, um, anyways, I posted about it on Go Wild. You can go check that out. Uh, another thing that is coming up, I'm not going to give it away right now, but we will be doing a really cool giveaway with Tether very soon. So you guys stay on the lookout. I'm not going to announce it yet, but I'm going to get you guys excited about it because we are going to be giving away some stuff with Tethered that I think you're going to want to be a part of. So all that being said, you guys enjoy this episode with Mr. Jeff Jones of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. This is live and in person. We got Mr. Jeff Jones here at our office, at our Southern Ground office. Southern Ground office, ninth yeah. floor of a unnamed building mm -hmm. in the center of Huntsville, Alabama, overlooking beautiful downtown. Yep, we really paid a lot for this thing, man. Like we we went all out for yeah, it. Yeah, you guys are really moving up. <laughs> no, we're here at Jeff's office in Huntsville, and uh, man, it's a nice place. Thanks so much. I'm glad you guys were able to come. I'm yeah. looking forward to spending the next hour or so with you. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. So for you, those of you who do not know, Jeff is, um, first off, one of the nicest people. And I learned that, when was that? When did we have that pint night? Like, a month ago. A month ago, yeah. yeah we had the Huntsville, Huntsville uh, BHA pint night, and I got to, a chance to talk to Jeff. We talked back and forth on Facebook when the Southern Ground podcast first really got, got going, and I talked to you about having you on. And we just weren't ever able, able to make it happen, but um, here we are. And yeah, man. It's, it's as good a time as any. Yeah, so, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. I think sure. life got in the way on that one. But um, I'm glad to be here. And, and so for those that haven't been to one of our events and probably don't know who I am, uh, my name is Jeff Jones. I live here in Huntsville. This is my 11th year in Huntsville. Um, much like, you know, the moniker of our town is you got to look real hard to find somebody that, that is from here originally. So uh, I am a transplant. Uh, I originally from South Mississippi. Um, went to uh, New York right after graduate school at Mississippi State, and then uh, spent about eight years there. A couple of tours in Iraq, and then back here. Wanted to be back south, and quite frankly, landed in a great place. Um, so over the years, uh, when I came here, it's interesting that um, uh, when I was at Mississippi State, I was there for six years, undergraduate and graduate school, and I was part of a really great hunting club. You know, we had. 
six or seven thousand acres of, of great land that we lease from uh, international paper and some other some other landholders so all told for me as a college student in 1994 it cost me two hundred dollars a year to hunt that full rights year round right Golly. And, and we were not overcrowded okay great opportunity so when I came back south you know I wanted to I wanted to kind of rekindle some of that and you know started looking around try to find a hunting club almost impossible to find something like that here especially as a new guy um, kind of like you want to be a mason you know to be one you got to know one well I was not in that club so um, you know I kind of sat on my hands for a little bit and got to looking around and there's some really great public land opportunities here and as things go I kind of got drawn into the backcountry hunters and anglers and, and over the course of time um, we started up a chapter in the southeast um, I was able to be one of the founding members of that chapter, and then eventually, um, I, I just recently served as the chair of the Southeast chapter, and now I'm uh, on the uh, North American Board of Directors for the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So that's, it's, it's been an interesting ride over the last three years. That's really cool. That's yeah, deal. that's a that's a big deal. And uh, uh, so we're talking to Josh Kaywood. Yep. And uh, which Josh works. For BHA, full Josh time. Is, is a full-time backcountry hunters and anglers chapter advisor. He was the first chair of the uh, Southeast chapter. As a matter of fact, he he took the job as Southeast chapter advisor about two thirds of the way through his his chairmanship, and then um, I took over for him. But it, so the, the interesting thing is, he was saying, so your your position is volunteer, yes. completely. Yeah. He was saying you're a volunteer. And you're actually his boss in the way everything kind of yeah, so, sort of goes down. <laughs> yeah, we more like we work hand in hand together. I probably That's pretty cool. I probably talk to him as much as I talk to my brother. That's cool. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Uh, Tyler got to meet him, and also Tyler is here. So um, just kind of sitting in the sitting in the corner, just hanging out, doing Learning. doing what Tyler does. That is that much. is what. He doesn't. He didn't talk much, but on the podcast. But apparently, but you got to fill the space. Yeah. Know? But apparently, he throws a few fists from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that true? No. We'll, we'll, we'll find out true. by the end of the hour. We'll see what happens with that class. We won't. We won't. We won't talk about. We won't talk about Tyler's. Uh, Tyler's week. Altercation. All his little altercation that he had this this week. Um. So so yeah, that's really cool. We're excited to have you on, Jeff. I. Like I said, we we wanted to have you on for a little while now, but uh, but we're not able to make it <laughs> to make it happen. Just trying to quietly open glass. You know, I, I want to make sure my voice stays Mr. you know level here. You know, just have a little uh, have a so, little liquid there. So uh, so so you work here. You're uh, you're you're active duty right now, right? No, I'm a, I'm an Army Reserve officer. So, okay. So as my daily life. Um, I am a uh, vice president in a very large architect and engineering firm, um, global presence. I run our facilities business specifically looking at our federal government customers, Army Corps of Engineers and some, some other agencies. Okay. And um, in my spare time, I am an Army Reserve officer. I'm an Army engineer and I run a specialty engineering team of eight folks here in Huntsville. My wife is also an Army Reserve officer. So, you know, we give up two weekends a month for the greater good. And um, hopefully we can one of us take a step down from that here pretty soon. Yeah, we got, we got two young daughters, a seven and three year old, so things are always you know um, busy at our house. Yeah, I can imagine. So I got a, a he's pretty big deal. Yeah, so basically what we what we're saying is is you're a pretty big deal. Not really. Not really. <laughs> no. I'm just a cog in a greater machine. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, we were talking about it a little bit before we got before we got started, but 
Um, and you kind of you kind of gave us a little rundown about how your your outdoors lifestyle has gone as of late. But how was your fall, man? Like, did you did you get to get out in the woods very much, or how was that? I did. So so I would classify it in three different ways. So um, we'll call it super big game hunting. We'll call it deer hunting, and then you know I am a I am a small river and stream fisherman. That happens all year long here, except right now because it's too cold and flooding. It's cold. Um, so from the super big game point, um, spent a week in Colorado elk hunting, um, right outside of Durango. My good friend Todd Waldron, who's the chair of the yep. New York chapter, backcountry hunters and anglers. So he and I, this is our second year out there. Um, I, you, I don't have you met Chris Jenkins? I have yeah. not. I've so, seen the name. Chris Jenkins, the Monahan brothers, yep. um, myself, and Todd all went out to Durango. Chris was hunting. Uh, he drew a mule deer tag there. Oh, wow. And um, we got there. This was the same week, um, second rifle season, that uh, he and I hunted two years previous in 2016. So that year it was really hot, you know, 70 degrees. We hiked way into the wilderness. It was our first western hunt. And um, quite frankly, we got over our heads in a hurry. <laughs> um, made a bunch of uh, corrections while we were hunting and dang near come away with, you know, a pretty nice size elk. We had a great encounter. So we decided to go right back to that spot this time. And as we were driving there, it went from, you know, low land, everything fine, to a little bit of snow, more snow, more snow, more snow. And the place where we were going to go camp and hunt was um, over knee-deep of snow. So there's no way you could effectively do that where we were at. Um, so we had to make a bunch of adjustments this time. We did not have the great encounter that we had last time. Um, Jamie Monahan ended up killing a uh, killing a um, I think a five by five wow. on, on our second move. Um, Todd and I had to pull out a little bit early and weren't able to weren't able to connect. Again, great learning experience. Um, so we've got two trips down and we're looking forward to trip number three. Maybe probably not this year, but but the following year in 2020. We're like at every other year. That's cool. Yeah. I actually got to talk to. I think it was Jamie. I'm pretty sure it was Jamie at the Birmingham mm -hmm. uh, pint night the day after the Huntsville one. So um, was he the, uh, the redheaded guy? Yep. Yeah. Mid yeah. Some hair? So, yeah. So, so Jamie, <laughs> he, he Jamie, was lacking a little bit of hair. Okay. Not not too I, bad. I, I yeah. <laughs> Jamie's our um, our Alabama state chair for BHA, and then his brother Andrew is on the southeast board with us and one of the founding members of the board. Okay. Um, so it's, it was great to be able to go out in the woods with those guys. They they've also got a, a farm not far from here in Gurley that okay. uh, I was yeah, fortunate. Jamie, I was talking to him about. That's right. Yeah. I, I was fortunate to hunt with him uh, last year. And uh, remember remember that week when it was like single digits? Um, really, really horrible. So I went that week weekend to hunt with him and I actually had a shot, but I was shaking so bad by the time the deer come out that I, I could not hold it still enough to uh to get to get the beads on that one. we don't know anything about that that big old floppy yeah. dough not getting know. tore up yeah no. about some deer <laughs> um so from a deer standpoint this was the worst season i've had in the last five years i did not kill a white-tailed deer um i i'm kind of upset but you know what i just i was not able to get out enough this year um that i have been in previous years and uh, things just didn't line up so you know it happens it does um, we'll pick it up next year uh, I caught a lot of fish this fall. I mean, a lot. The rivers, I, I flint fished the Flint River almost exclusively. Um, I put a lot of catfish in the freezer this year, put a lot of crappie in the freezer this year. So we'll be doing fine over, you know, we're about to start Lent, and I feel like I'm in a good spot for that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, so didn't get to hunt nearly as much as maybe you wanted to. Yeah. But, man, I mean, like, you know, you, you were saying that two weekends, two weekends out of the month, 
you're doing army stuff. Army stuff, which is, you know, I mean, that's and we appreciate that. Hey, listen, too. it's an honor to serve. You know, it's not it's not a burden. You know, it sounds like that sometimes when you do the things you want to do, but there are clear benefits all the way around. Absolutely. So, kind of going back to that, um, like I I don't feel super bad for you that you didn't get to hunt because apparently whenever you go out in the woods your luck is pretty good or when you put into a to a draw system so yeah talk a little bit about um we've talked about it before but your kentucky elk experience right? yeah so i am one of the lucky few folks that have killed a um, successfully harvested a, a elk in, in the state of kentucky this was really the bug that got me into elk hunting because i was not really not really that into it um uh, before then so it was 2013 uh, or 20 early 2014. I think the drawing closes right at the end of April, early May. Um, I was on the range at Fort Knox and saw plenty of big deer out there. Decided I need to find out. You know, Fort Knox isn't that far from Huntsville. I need to find out how to go hunt this place. So as I was looking at their outdoor rec um, page, I saw a link. Hunt Kentucky elk. So I clicked on that link. Went to the <laughs> Kentucky Game and Fish page. You know, two $10 tags I was in. You know, I, I put in for a rifle bull and a rifle cow. A week later, got an email. It's like, hey, results are in. Go check your thing. Sure enough, first time out of the shoot, having never heard of this before, I drew an elk <laughs> tag at Kentucky and successfully harvested a cow, uh, I think, that December of 2014. That's cool, man. It is. That's it really, really neat. Is. I don't think, I think you're probably the only person I've ever talked to well, no, Jamie drew Jamie one, drew a tag. But he didn't get to go. He did not hunt. Um, which is crazy. It is. It is. That is. There's plenty of things. <laughs> plenty of things to eat tag soup on, and that ain't one of them. Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one that you want to go on. But listen, but. they'll take my money for the rest of my life. You know. That's, what did uh, What did the total trip cost from? So I, I added this whole thing up. And I want to tell you, prices have changed dramatically since the time I did this. Um, so with the tag. I used points for uh, Hampton Inn in Hazard, Kentucky, so I stayed for that. Basically, nothing. Um, I bought very little gear because um, I wasn't, you know, camping out. And uh, and I had a startup outfitter that was a bunch of state troopers that were getting their business going. And so for five hundred dollars, they guided me for a week. Um, so I walked out of there with like twelve hundred dollars total. So you were staying in the hotel, going to kill elk. Yep. Yep. Can't beat that. <laughs> yeah, and listen, what I, what I told you know, I said, hey, look, I want to hunt hard, and and we did. We hunted hard. Um, we walked hills, we walked hollers, and uh, and and I killed that that cow, way up in the in the bottom of a holler in backwoods Kentucky, um, and quite frankly, had I not shot her, she would have run right over me. So they guided you on public, or? both public public and private. So so the way we started. Kind of the way Kentucky is, not unlike the South. You know, there's not just huge blocks of well, outside of the, the Daniel Boone National Forest where I was hunting around Hazard, there was a um, an open permit mine. So a big mine. It was open to to the the public to go hunt during elk season. During the application process, when I, I drew that because it had the highest success rate, um, the mine changed hands and they took it out of the public domain. So there's a, um, I think there's a wildlife management area that backs up to that land. I actually killed the cow on the border of those two pieces of property. Okay. But those guys still had access to that mine that got pulled out that I no longer had access to. So effectively what I did was buy access to the mine. That's really neat, man. Yeah. That sounds like it was a, a pretty cool time. What, it was. What, it was. what was like, did you feel like the luckiest man on earth? Oh yeah, I felt great, man. And I'll tell you this, 
we hunted hard for a week, right? And it was, those things were few and far between the week I was there. And I was, you know, you'd see them right at the crack of dawn and then they were gone. But that was the year, you know, in 20, uh, 2014, there was the huge mast crop that year. So, I mean, like you could put a piece of plywood in the woods and you could surf all the way down it from all the acorns, right? Yeah. So um, all the elk were way up high on 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 these hills. Um, uh, so on the mine, you have the mine and, and they, they mine the top. They do not mine the hollers, right? That goes down to protect the watersheds down below. But but so the where I killed mine, there was an un, unmined hilltop and that thing was steep and high. And so you could see them all sitting up there on the ledge. So I mean, it's either you go to them or, or try to get them come to you. And that's what we did is we got down in the bottom of that, bottom of that holler and, and had them had them come to us. Um, I will tell you though, one of the things I, I, I remember is I shoot this cow and she was an old one. So, you know, I got here, I got a 500 pound animal laying on the ground in the bottom of this holler. And I look up and there's probably a 300 foot climb to get out of there. And, and here's what I thought. Well, I know they were coming with a truck to get me, so that was good. But if I was in Colorado and this happened, and this was a bull, there would be another 100 or 200 pounds associated with this, and I would have to carry it out on my back. Is that something that I'm ready to do right now? And the answer was no. So it kind of got you. Oh, yeah. It kind of brought everything to absolutely. reality for you. Absolutely. guy wanting to go hunt out west for elk. You know, yes. That's, now, are the elk bigger in Colorado they, or out west? They're bigger or, in Kentucky. They're bigger in Kentucky. Yep, and it's, you know, the climate's a little more um, um, helpful to them. They have more grass, you know, they can they can grow a little bit bigger. There. Right. That's, I'm jealous, man. That sounds like a cool... I, listen, if you're not applying for it, spend, I think you can apply for all four tags now. When I did it, it was only two. So, four tags, it's like 80, I don't know if it's still 10 bucks a piece if, or 20, but, you know, no more than 80 bucks to apply for four, four tags there. You should be doing that every year. Oh yeah, yeah. That's man, that's really neat. I'm. Uh, it's a cool story to just like, you know, the way you applied and how quickly you got it back. It was kind of just yeah. a nonchalant thing. It's kind of like it's kind of like somebody who goes to the casino, just like ah, I don't really gamble, right. but I'll, I got a few. Quarters. Put a dollar in the slot machine, yeah. win ten thousand. <laughs> when, when I'll tell you how improbable it was. You know, they, they did a thousand, they drew a thousand tags that year, 10% allocated to out-of-staters, so 100 tags to folks like me, and there were 50,000 applicants for those 100 tags, and I drew one on the first time out. Golly. If you don't care, I'm going to Georgia to get some lottery tickets. Have you, uh, <laughs> yeah. you picked the numbers? We'll take a ride yeah. over to Georgia I, I'll quick. tell you, um, I have not been successful at that yet, so you may not want to, <laughs> want to pull that. I'll take my chances. That's cool. So... So the real reason that we're here, most of the time our show and our listeners are going to know this, that our our podcast, we talk a lot about deer hunting. We talk a lot about stories and tactics and strategies and stuff like that. Um, the thing that we've probably been lacking a lot in is kind of the behind the scenes stuff, like things that are giving us access to go and enjoy these things. And, and I don't really want to, I don't want to get us pigeonholed into a show that only talks about the fun stuff without talking to some of the people who are really on the front lines um, taking care of us and making sure that we can that we can still enjoy these and and also you being uh, military like you kind of get to do it on in the outdoor front and just on the American front which is pretty neat um, but we've we've talked a little bit about BHA and you've mentioned it um, kind of your position mm -hmm. on that but just kind of in a nutshell, I know we're going to have some listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it. Um, what would you say, if, if, if you were talking to somebody who'd never heard of it before, how would you describe what Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is all about? I always answer this question with a paraphrased 
quote from Stephen Rinella. You know, Stephen Rinella is probably the greatest voice for, for hunters and anglers in, in America um, right now. He's articulate, he's well-spoken, and, and he, he can get a message across to a wide audience. And he has described backcountry hunters and anglers this way. That is a collection of the most hunting and fishingest folks that I have ever been around. And that is 100% truth. So I've been lucky enough, I went to the, the National Rendezvous in 2016, I did it again last year in 2018, I'll be there this year in 2019, and I will tell you that you're going to meet people from all walks of life. We are, we are not a politically affiliated organization. Matter of fact, um, there, we did some research on what, what we look like. We look just like America, split right down the middle, right? There's folks on either side of the aisle. We're united by that one common bond, which is that love of the outdoors and protecting our access and our ability to go experience, you know, that solitude or that challenge of the hunt that, that we're going to see. So backcountry hunters and anglers, we are the sportsman's voice for, for our wild public lands and waters. And really, you know, we're an advocacy, advocacy organization right now. Um, we're not gonna. We're not like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation that that can go buy, you know, a, a thousand acres and set it aside in a, in a permanent easement. Um, but we are the fastest growing conservation organization in, in the country right now. So, you know, in in 2016 we were trying to get to 10,000 members, and then in 2018 we were at 30,000 members, and in 2019 we're looking to 50,000 members. So, you know, we're almost doubling. Our, we're on that exponential growth curve, going mm -hmm. up and up and up. And, and you can see, if you just were to look at, you know, our organizational magazine, the Backcountry Journal, if you looked at the growth over that, over the last four years, that alone um, should tell you a lot about how our organization has come in the last, uh, the last few years. That's cool, man. And that's, you know, for me, um, I, I, I haven't been into, into the public land, the whole scene, I guess you could call it, for, for the majority of my life. I've been... You know, I was raised in Texas where there's just not a whole mm -hmm. lot of public land. And so um, getting on leases and doing things, that was kind of the norm for us, paying way too much money. And something really happened to me um, several years ago when I decided to start just hunting public land pretty much exclusively. Um, something changed, and, and all of a sudden it became in the way that it would happen for a guy who buys property, right? You buy a farm or you buy a ranch in Texas or something like that. Um, you all of a sudden now have to take care of this piece of property. You have to take care of this land. You have to maintain it and make sure the habitat is right. And so all of a sudden, you know, you see the hashtag public landowner and stuff. Like there is, there's an accountability that comes with that. And, and that was something I realized. Um, and I didn't realize it super early on even in the public land. It was, I was actually turkey hunting one day. And I was just obviously not seeing any turkeys because I don't see a lot of turkeys when I'm turkey hunting. That's what I say. I'm a bad hunter. I'm yeah, a bad turkey hunter. I'm a bad turkey hunter. Sometimes I get lucky. I, actually, I see lots of them. I just can't get them, you know, much closer. <laughs> exactly. Than that. Yeah. Um, I was so I was sitting there. I was sitting under a tree. And I was thinking about it. I was like, man, it would be really cool if somebody would manage this property. If somebody would could manage this land for turkeys. I'm thinking yeah me mm -hmm. like that's that's me that's my job it's my job to be a part of that and so what I actually did is like I normally do as I'm turkey hunting I'm sitting on my phone and um, just kind of going through stuff and um, I was like I saw something for backcountry hunters and anglers you know definitely before that but uh, I was kind of reminded of it I was like you know what it's time to just go ahead and be a part and so uh, I joined BHA right then and there sitting underneath a tree turkey hunting during the spring I joined BHA 
and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a there's a um, uh, an ownership that comes with being a part of an organization like that. Um, and so, you know, I can say that I, I greatly appreciate the things that you're doing. I greatly appreciate the things that the organization as a whole is doing. Um, and I think it's really interesting what you said about people from both sides of the aisle. Uh, we went to those pint nights, and you can definitely tell that. Even here in the dirty South, you know, you mm-hmm. got people that are that are all walks of life that are coming in. You got the the Bubba looking guy, you know, with a big burly beard walking in, um, and then you've got like doctors and yeah. and lawyers and like your higher end people, you know, that are coming in. And so, um, and then aside from that, you've also got you know, different, you got all over the political spectrum of people who are coming in and being a part of something like that. And um, it's just really neat. It's really neat to see, you know, you you don't have to agree on everything. That's right. But if you can agree on some things, then you can be unified. The thing that unites us is, is the love for the land, the love for the outdoors, and the ensuring that it's going to be available for our kids and then those other generations behind us. Exactly. You know, when you start looking at, and it's happening everywhere, reduction in license sales, reductions in, in, in hunters, um, our, our numbers are declining. And and you know I've heard I've heard people say, and, and this is true that if if we I think it was Kevin Murphy saying this not too long ago, um, if we're not taking care of the generation to follow us, then we'll be the last two generations that are experiencing our lifestyle. And that's the absolute truth, right now. There are some changes happening right now. So, so it's you know back in in the '70s, it was the back to the land movement, right? Um, here, it's the the locavore movement and and the hunters and anglers that are looking for um, a more sustainable, low to the ground um, um, source of their protein is a real thing. And there are more people coming out from from the the and I'm going to say air quotes here the millennial generation because I fight this all the time is like the excuse for everything is oh the millennials I reject that completely right it's all about communication and it's all about you know coming together over that common set uh, of viewpoints and we all have the same thing when you get down to the root cause of the issue that's why backcountry hunters and anglers is growing so fast and you're right we're growing with guys that are, are western ranch land farmers wearing you know boots and a wrangler shirt and we're, we're growing with the millennial coming in from new york city in a man bun you know wearing an expensive set of uh tight pants well that's like a guy we met at south palooza what was his name who are you talking about uh sean from oh, new york yeah from connecticut yeah he just yeah just you, a, you would not think he want to be a hunter but yeah i mean and and he's probably listening to this. he actually started listening to us last week so uh, this guy is just a really cool guy. Actually, he's getting double mentions. Yeah, right <laughs> on on a podcast, man. We need to get him on the show. Yeah, he yeah came, no kidding. He came from Connecticut all the way to South Georgia to learn about uh, saddle hunting, which is pretty dang cool. Well, well, let me tell you, when I lived in New York, I lived in the southern tier of New York, right outside of Westchester County, and um, you know we bordered Connecticut there. I will tell you, I've seen more and bigger deer in that county of New York, which is one county north of Manhattan than any other place I have ever been, including that great hunting land in Mississippi. That's awesome. Part of it is because nobody hunts. Yeah. They're completely undisturbed, right? It, it is a haven, haven for deer. Well, this guy flew from Connecticut to Georgia and bought everything from Walmart 
Our from listeners the, are going to be bored by this story. This is the second time. Well, I ain't going to say that. I ain't going to give it all to them. But uh, <laughs> it, what it all comes down to, he, he flew from Connecticut and hunted, and yeah. now he's I, – well, I think he hunted before, but now he's like going to be a true saddle hunter. So just uh, the word of mouth travels so much. It's, it, it's, yeah. It is cool, though, you know, um, just going back to kind of seeing what BHA is all about. And you were talking about Stephen Ranella, too. Um, and I would agree with you. He's one of the greatest voices that we've uh, that we've got in the community. He, um, he, I hear people all the time, people that I would not expect to be, you know, people I wouldn't expect to be talking to me about outdoors or deer hunting or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but this guy's on Netflix. Like, you, you imagine, if you can imagine some of the, the outdoor personalities, Netflix saying, yeah, we'll put them... We'll put them on the network you know that that they'll be great for it that's not true um and i think it's because of organize organizations like this that you're able to start seeing people kind of go into more of the mainstream media because yeah. because it's not just a one-sided it's not a one political party you're right and, type movement and they're in this quality too so so i will tell you you know if you if you followed steve ranella i guess this is probably 20 2009 2010 time frame he had his first show that was on the travel channel and it was mm-hmm. called um uh, the wild within right and it was an hour-long format that was the only show related to the outdoors that i get my wife to watch and not just watch but be engaged in right because it was all about you know this food-centric utilization of a whole animal on, on our wild you know public lands right and you had to work for it and, and i'll be honest with you that's what drove me back into the public lands piece here in North Alabama. And, and when I got to realize like, you know, we're in a pretty good spot, you know, if you're a public lands hunter here. And so that, you know, some of those moments led exactly to where we sit right now. Yeah, and it's it's just, it's neat to be a part of, you know, as a millennial, as uh, what generation would you have I'm a Gen from? X. A Gen X, so. Look, I was the guy, um, we were not supposed to be worth anything and be able to do anything. And, you know, we were the ones that basically invented that, um, it was it was it was the first internet browser and you know yeah. lots of the companies that I are worth that was us. Yeah. yeah, well they, they everybody, say it every everybody's year. not scared everybody's going to be worse than okay. the one before. Right? Um, but but seeing I mean it's really being a millennial and getting to see like you know we I think we're we're part of a generation that was before a lot of the before a lot of the changes the the big changes. Mm. And after, so we're seeing a lot of it, and obviously the Gen Xers are too. Um, but seeing a, an organization that really feels like, you know, when I go to a, a pint night or something like that, it feels like it's being built, built on yes. the backs of millennials, absolutely, which is really cool. That's neat, and you know, I, I work in church work, and and you see a lot of that as well. Um, I mean, it's being built on on that generation. We, we said this a lot when we started Southeast Chapter, and we'd have people call up or, or email us and, you know, say, you know, how do I get involved? And we would go, this is how you get involved. We're a Big Ten organization. We are not at the point where we can go, hey, man, we, you know, I'd like to have you, but you need to prove yourself first. Help, no. Prove yourself in the organization doing great things. And, you know, you can, you can just look at the activity that we've had, you know, here in Alabama or in the Southeast over the last – you know, 18 months. And you can really see that, you know, we're growing exponentially along with the national organization. Um, our events are getting better. They're getting more numerous. And, and we're now doing things to reach the entire membership 
of, of the group. So things are things are going well from that standpoint. It's man, and it's it's really cool to be a part of it. And um, I know I've said it before, but we appreciate what what you guys do, who are you know on the front lines of of backcountry hunters and anglers. We really do appreciate that. Um, so kind of going into that, there has been a recent thing that has happened um, in in the. I don't know if you. It, it, it I don't know that did it I don't know that it made national news I know it did um, but maybe not something that every single outdoorsman has heard of um, but that was the national the Natural Resources Management Act um, that's been a big thing that backcountry hunters and anglers has been a big part of probably for a long time but just right now publicly you know it's really kind of coming to the surface probably in the last month. Can you talk about that and everything that that entails? Well, I can no, in no way talk about everything it entails. I mean, yeah, there's, there's literally like a <laughs> hundred different conservation programs in there. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the high points and two that specifically relate to us here in, uh, in Alabama and the general South. Um, so the first thing was uh, the, the, it's the John D. Jingle, I'm sorry, John D. Dingle Conservation Management Recreation Act, commonly known as S.47. If you were to Google search that, it'll come right up. So um, we were, uh, we as as backcountry hunters and anglers were um, violently in support of this because of, you know, the public lands package that it entailed. Um, there's probably, I was looking through it a couple days ago, I don't know, there's, there's five or six different sections full of different um, uh, packages for public lands, everything from creation of new wilderness to creation of ATV areas in some places. I mean, this literally has something for everybody. I saw something about like tennis courts. That's right. Bipartisan stuff. support. It's passed by, I think it was 98 to 2 in the Senate and something like um, 360 to 80 in the House. Now, I would tell you our delegation here in Alabama, both of our senators, Senator Sh- um, uh, Shelby and Senator Jones, both, both voted for the act. Um, we had two senators, uh, our two congressmen in uh, Alabama did not. Our district representative here, Mo Brooks, did not. And um, I am disappointed in that. I know I've written him several times about the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Land and Water Conservation Fund was one of the major pieces of, uh, uh, of this, this, uh, this bill. Um, and, and, you know, he, he voices support to, you know, national parks and other things. But every time he gets an opportunity to vote in support of our public lands, the vote is no. Um, so I, I don't think we'll change that. I think it's an uh, ideology position. Um, he aligns so, very, very closely with uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, who um, is probably the most uh, ardent anti-public land supporter. So let's talk there. about that. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about that for just a second. And and obviously everything is uh, really just opinion based. There are Absolutely. some there are facts in there. Yep. Um, but as a as a Republican from Texas, yep. obviously I'm a huge Ted Cruz fan. And so what this has done for me is it has made me, <laughs> you know that moment where you question everything yeah, that you've right. ever believed right. for your whole life? Um, that, that's the way it is. That's the way it is done. So public land is a huge part of my life. Yeah. But also, you know, things like, uh, things like abortion and yep. things like that are also, I'm very strongly opinionated on them. Yeah. And so, what what do you think? How do you how do you how do you tell people to to uh, kind of how, how do you how do you reconcile that? With that? Yourself? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I would I would I always tell folks you know 
you can't be a you, don't be a one a one issue voter. But but this is a big issue for me, right? And and it does not pass my smell test no matter what. Um, and and I'll give you what you know. I'm an engineer by trade. I like to think that I can use logic to reason a problem yeah. out. Um, so so I, I hear your argument, and I, I'm saying you writ large that maybe the states could do a better job managing you know our public lands. And I'm going to use our home state of Alabama as as the prime example. We've got something like two million acres of federal lands here here in the state through the Bankhead National Forest or the Talladega National Forest, some others. So what would happen if we dumped all of that land on the Alabama Department of Natural Resources tomorrow to manage without giving them anything else? It would be an unmitigated disaster, right? Now we all if you listen to Randy Newberg, you know that, you know, all that state lands are managed for a profit, so you have a whole lot of things that go along with that. In many cases, they were sold off over history because you know the states could not keep up, you know, with managing them to that profit. But I, I have to look at this. These are the same the, the people, the same people that are, are are in are arguing to get rid of our public lands because it's an egregious federal expense. If you were to look at what the budget line item is in the federal budget. For that every year, it's like eight billion dollars for all of Department of Interior, you know, National Wildlife Recreation, you know, pieces. Eight billion dollars—that is nothing when you look at the overall federal budget. So right. to use the argument of "let's get rid of all this," we get rid of all the management, we can dump all that, all that somewhere else is 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 a false argument because you're not really recouping anything that would substantially reduce debt. The second argument always goes to economics. Well, could we could we do something better with those lands and better manage? Again, I'm going to use Alabama as an example. So, um, when you look at the Outdoor Industry Association, they have estimated that outdoor recreation in Alabama is worth 14 billion dollars. That's a B. 14 billion dollars in consumer spending to our state annually. Okay, 135,000 direct jobs. Let's compare that to some of the largest industries in our state. So I have a couple of little notes here, if I can read my chicken scratch. Yeah. The extraction industry in 2016, so that's oil, that's coal, that's uh, all of those things, minerals that we take out of the ground, was worth, to Alabama, $2.8 billion in 2016. Huh. All right, so outdoor recreation worth 7% of gross domestic product in Alabama. That's uh, $14 billion. Extraction industry, 1.4% at, at 2.8. So you say, all right, Jeff. You know, all right. You 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 got down um, the uh, the oil and gas industry. What about timber? And and there's a couple of different things. And the forest, in, you know, uh, industry in Alabama is huge. And you know, if you look at the largest number, it's 11.8 billion dollars, and that was 2017. So the Outdoor Industry Association in Alabama is the is one of the I think it's number four on the largest p largest economic engines in our state. I think the three above it are, two of them are healthcare, and one, the, the next one's finance, then the outdoor recreation economy. So if we were to get rid of all of those lands in our state, wildlife management areas, the national forests, um, you know, you think about the, the Bass Trail in North Alabama. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an economic engine in our state. Think about the number of bass tournaments on Lake Gunnersville oh, that well, happen every, every weekend. year. Every, every, weekend every weekend throughout the, the entire year, the right? Bass tournaments, crappie tournaments. I mean, you, you pick it. So all of that factors into that that fourteen billion dollar number. So if we start looking at the outdoor industry in our state, 
as a real industry and not as a recreation activity that people take care of, I think the conversation changes. We're not going to start saying, hey, man, we need to get rid of this public lands. It's going to be, hey, man, how do we create more, more. public lands? How do we better manage our lands? How do we make more opportunities so more people come here to spend more money and make that $24 billion instead of 14? Yeah. That's the conversation we need to be having. Yeah. Man. Dead on. How do you argue with that? You can't. Numbers don't lie. You can't. All right, um, so I'm going to I'm gonna trend. I'm going to keep going for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you just, just keep right? going, Jeff. Let's get good, Jeff. <laughs> so the number one thing from, from the backcountry hunters and anglers perspective that we've been arguing on for the last, I don't know, year was the Land and Water Conservation Fund. I mean, you saw our action alerts when it expired. I think it was September of 2018 at the end of the old Congress. Um, we we and, and many other of our sister organizations have been pushing Land and Water Conservation Fund reauthorization permanently, right? So... What is the Land and Water Conservation Fund worth in Alabama? I would tell Before you, you get into yeah. that, so reauthorization means that it was set, it yeah. was set, and basically it's running, it, it it's ran out. out. It was out in September 2018. How, how, long did, how long ago was it set? In the 60s, I think. Okay, so it yeah. was this is a 50 years 50 year or something like that. Program. Okay. So we got permanent reauthorization in, in this public lands package that passed the House. So... Again, I talked about our our elected representatives. I, I write them often about this specifically. And, um, you know, I use the economic argument. In the state of Alabama, since inception, $153 million, the Land and Water Conservation Fund, has provided the state of Alabama. And that's gone to everything from um, funding um, some of our public lands purchases and access rights. A lot of it has gone to some of the most needy communities in our state doing parks, and baseball fields and softball fields, boat ramps, you know, other other improvement, recreation improvements around the state. Um, those are places that, you know, those communities would not be able to afford those projects without the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So I have always said, why are we, you know, by any metric, Alabama is either 48, 49, or 50, you know, depending on what you're looking at in the ranking of states, right? Um, why would we turn away $150 million of revenue coming in our borders? I mean, mm -hmm. that is ridiculous to me. And yet, we, we, we our congressmen, were, were actively voting against and not you know, participating in bills that would push that forward. So um, as you go, you go through all the things the land and water conservation has done here, I mean, you look at, here's a great one, hunters, Cahaba National Wildlife Refuge. Right, mm -hmm. lots of our friends hunt there and spend a lot of time there, and that is a major piece of importance in our state. Um, uh, Little River Canyon National Preservation Area, um, Talladega National Forest, uh, the Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge, Bankhead National Forest—all of these things got projects out of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. I mean, what, what's the, not to like? Right? Yeah, that, yeah. Like, I mean, how do you? How and do this you thing argue is funded. That? You know, Land and Water Conservation Fund is funded from a piece of that offshore oil revenue that that is coming in from from that mineral extraction. So, you're not taken from anybody, right? This is not a tax. So it's um it's a great thing. It's a cost share program. So so instead of getting you know a small project, you're getting twice the size of the project. In some cases, though, projects could not happen without that cost share funding. Um, we talk about. We talked a little bit about access and opportunity. So why was this bill important to us as Southern sportsmen? The Land and Water Conservation Fund, by and large, number one. That's the number one thing for us in this package. Um, with those that funding back in place, we can now look at, um, you know, Alabama. I mean, I think you guys know 
not all of our wildlife management areas are owned by the state. Many of them are on either short or long-term leases. I think we've lost something like 60,000 acres of wildlife management area over the last four or five years. Um, I understand there may be another 50,000 acres on the, on the chopping block here pretty soon. Isn't a lot of that coming off of Cahaba? I think so. I think some of yeah. it is. Um, so there are some things that, uh, that the Land and Water Conservation Fund in its now reauthorized form will be able to help us with from both an access and opportunity point. Um, from so, so talking about those, sorry, I'm going to yeah, interrupt no, go you a little bit. Talking about those um, kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, leased public lands, um, how how exactly, and you may have said this and I just missed it, how exactly does does it help maintain some of those those leased obviously it helps it in the it helps it maintain it while it is yeah while it is run by the state but how you know how does it protect it i guess is the better word well so it, the ultimate in protection for us is to be able to do a purchase and then that thing come into the state as a permanent piece of wildlife management area so you know the um our uh, forever wild program is a big a big function mm-hmm. of that so when you look at using forever wild dollars and or other state funds, you get the matching fund from the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Maybe that gets you to one of those to one of those projects that you wouldn't right. you wouldn't other be able to get. Um, but then there's you know the miscellaneous projects, the gun ranges and things like that. Sure. Those are all Land and Water Conservation Fund you know available to be to be co-funded through that program. Now uh, I've noticed on Little River Canyon, uh, the last three years they've just completely stopped planting green fields on the yeah with the uh, the south side of the Highway 35 going up on the right side. And uh, I, I don't know if Forever Wild bought some of that land, or, but they just completely stopped planting greenfields. Yeah, so I think if you talk to our Natural Resources Agency, you know, the, where they get all of that money from for the active management piece is through license sales. And as those continue to dip, their operating funds go down, and um, we have less amenities as hunters. So if you love the outdoors, you know, there are lots of people I'm gonna I'm gonna take bird watchers for instance, you know Alabama birding trails all up and down the state. It is a big, big, big recreation opportunity here. Um, you can go onto our wildlife management areas and look at birds through your binoculars all day, and it costs you zero, right? I would encourage those folks to buy a hunting license or a fishing license or or a duck stamp, um, a state duck stamp. Those dollars go right into supporting the management uh, of those areas for all of us, not not just one group of folks. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so so when you're talking about, you know, these these leased leased properties, kind of going back to that yeah. a little bit, but also tying that in with things like like hunting licenses, every dollar every dollar is important. Yep. Every dollar counts. You know, when you're complaining about oh our license sales went up, however much money. Yeah. It, I, I I hunt a place where. Um, I, may, I don't want to give too much information away, <laughs> uh, but but there are there are places and, and boat ramps and things where you have to pay a certain amount of That's money right. to get into each place. Is that directly? So when I'm when I'm paying into that, is that directly going into that operation and maintenance? Yeah. Okay. And so, how does that connect to things like land water conservation fund? So the land and water conservation fund would have funded the project itself, okay. and then the upkeep comes out of that. Comes out of, of the other stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you're if you're an outdoorsman and you hunt public land and you've paid money, chances are this is 
tied to your dollars that it, you're spending. You know, it's our it's our public land hunting club, right? Exactly. I mean, that, that's really right. what it is, right? Your taxes go into this, your license sales go into this. Um, it's your resource, and and our our state agencies are depending on us to help them management through our our purchase of a license. And you know, and look, you know, even if you're not a duck hunter, purchasing that state that state duck stamp helps management of those areas across all boundaries. So, so right. I, I mean, I just started waterfowl hunting a few years ago, um, or, or say two years ago, but you know, I started before that buying those waterfowl stamps specifically to support those conservation efforts. And, and it's, you know, well, it's 20 bucks. I mean, not, not killing, killing the wallet either. Right. Is it 20 for one, for one duck or is it 20 for each duck? If you're hunting with me, you might be 20 for no duck. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Tyler's not a we're not we're not waterfowl no, I've never as um, much as I've, we'd like to be the the other I thing I, I want to talk about you know the other big piece of this this sportsman's package that it's relatable to us here as southern sportsmen is um, the permanent access to federal lands so you know you, you we hear about limit you know may, maybe the way to get to a, a sell or a transfer of public lands to the states is to just limit access to them and then you know you can you can open up mining rights or, or turn it over to the state or do whatever because nobody will be using it at that point. You can prove that, you know, it's an economic drain, whatever. It all comes right. back to the dollars and cents, right? Yeah. So the access our federal lands piece basically says those federal lands permanently open to hunting, fishing, and other recreation activities. Um, if the if the federal government wants to take them out for some reason, they have to publicize it and a valid reason to do that. So it could be, you know, they were going to do some uh, gas leasing rights on a spot of BLM land, you know, they would box that out as, as no interest. That's cool, and, and we all accept that. But what this does is says hunting, shooting, fishing on your federal lands, all good to go. Okay, wow. So now why does that matter here in North Alabama? Tennessee Valley Authority land, yeah. all the way up and down the Tennessee River, the Army Corps of Engineers land, up and down the Tennessee River, and in a national forest system. Those three things are directly affected by that. So, you know, I mean, you're looking at this, you know, I, and I think it's intimidating for the average guy to look at everything that's included yeah. in all of this. It absolutely is. You know, it's intimidating, but I think it's good to break down a lot of this stuff. So, so we talked about the land and water conservation. We talked about um, the unlimited access. Uh, what are some other things in there that? So there were several things in there related to creation of new wilderness area. Um, some in um, California, there was a, um, a specific act for uh, protecting some of the desert in California. So if you follow lots of the uh, OTD, um, the off-road vehicle guys, you know they do a lot of dune riding. It's very popular. So this was not a deal where we said, hey, cutting it out, no more of that, but rather they set aside, you know, a spot specifically for it. You know, and then we're not talking about, you know, just a little spot, go go ride in your little football field area. But there were some some ecologically sensitive areas that, that were able to be protected. And then that bipartisan deal, you know, trade back and forth to then have a, a whole lot opened up for the off-road vehicles. And that happened in, a, in a, several places there were off-road vehicle um, recreation areas set aside. That's a big thing. I mean, hunters, yeah. wilderness protecting folks, supporting, you know, like early on backcountry hunters and anglers had, had the bad tag of, hey man, you guys hate people on four-wheelers. No, we don't hate people on four-wheelers. We don't like people riding their stuff into the wilderness where they're not supposed to be, right? Right. right. What, about, uh, what about like an e-bike? So wilderness area, no wheeled access. You want to ride an e-bike, ride it everywhere you can. So you can ride, you can ride an e-bike up the 
Yeah. E-bike on like the WMA. Yep. That's all it's legal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just can't take it on the wilderness area, right? Tyler uses podcasts to find. He's like taking yeah. notes for his own his own hunting. Yeah. So, so, you know, Skyline, you can ride a full or certain parts you can ride a full wheeler on, but if you kill something, you can retrieve it with a listen, ATV. Yeah, there are a lot of people that just do, you know, bicycle, mountain bike style hunting. That's where the e-bikes yeah. kind, of, kind of grew out of for hunting there. Um, I'm one of them. Uh, I fixed them. When, when I started, uh, I, bought a, I bought a mountain bike specifically for hunting on public lands and and i built a little blind to go with it because you know you set your turkey chair up put your bike up drape your uh your camo net over the side of that and all of a sudden you know you're set up do some internet searching on it man you see guys has got um these uh, uh trailers hooked to their bikes and they're carrying oh, yeah. around i mean you can get crazy with that thing there's, a, really there's a following it. yeah it's a niche it's yeah. turning it's, into it a is niche. it is it's a big niche so so talking about you know that um in you're talking about it in California as mm-hmm. far as like adding wilderness areas and things like that. So is this thing where, you know, you know, if I'm looking at it in my perspective, obviously that's great. Yeah. Like that's great for the people of California. It's good to be a part of that as Americans. Obviously that's, that's awesome. Is, does this open it up for that same type of stuff to happen across the United States? So I, I don't think you're going to see, a lot of new wilderness in the eastern and southern United States. I mean, our population and geography just doesn't really support it. Um, I think, and I think we're generally okay with that. I mean, we've got some some, sure. some wilderness areas in our area, and, and quite frankly, we've got some very large uh, sections of national forest that that the interior sections might as well be wilderness because the only there ain't many people accessing those things, right? Um, I. I think what we would look for, and, and there's some some as you get into the fine text of the uh, the bill, there's some some forest management um, items in there that that you know call share a little more active forest management on both uh, public and private sections, which is good. It's good right. for us. I mean, you know, Al- Alabama. Look at a state like us that's you know primarily private land. Active forest management on the private land, you know, keeps the wildlife population high. We would like to see some of that. Good, I talked about this on TDA land a lot. You know, you have access is not great, but it's there. Opportunity may be not necessarily be great because it's not actively managed. You know, it's old growth forest now. There's not a lot of underbrush. Um, so if if you've got the turkey I chased all last year was on a new piece of pines that had recently burned. That guy was not leaving that new piece of pines to walk 100 feet onto the public land into an old growth forest with no underbrush. Just not going to happen, right? Right. So, you know, that's a that's a uh, kind of a um, an end piece example, but but it's an example of what's going on. One of the reasons why I'm completely against uh, I, I don't care for supplemental feeding um, during hunting season is you know I think it reduces some of the opportunity we have on our public lands. Um, because you know you're drawing animals out on a bad year, especially mm-hmm. have a bad mass crop out of those um, those public access areas onto you know a private land area where they may be feeding a significant amount of supplemental feed. Right. That you know that's my opinion. I know. No. Yeah. I, I, I agree totally, with that. I totally agree with you. I don't. I don't disagree. I think a lot of people who listen would also agree with that. You know, it, when you when you talk about supplemental feeding, which we we're not really in this episode, but it's it's a good conversation. Yeah. To have, you know, obviously, again, you're talking to a kid who's raised in Texas. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's just how you right. hunt. That's just what you do. Um, it don't matter. I mean, there's not a whole hey, lot listen, of people. South Mississippi, doing. like where I grew up. I mean, when I grew up down there, there was, the deer population was almost nil. 
Um, now we've got a pretty good population, but you know, on the coastal plain, I mean, there's not many seasons like like you know West Texas. Yep. I mean, if you're not doing some of that, you know, you may go a whole season without seeing one of those. Exactly. Jerks. You know, I, there was a year specifically where I tried tried hunting some spots that weren't um, weren't didn't have a feeder or mm-hmm. anything, and it just it just didn't work you out. You do a lot of surfing on your phone. Yeah. 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 And um, but but you know when you put that reasoning behind it, uh, it I mean the greater greater good of some areas. Um, to preserve preserve a hunting heritage or an outdoor lifestyle, you know something like TVA land or or something like that that's not actively managed. Man, like I want I want my children to be able to enjoy what I get to enjoy right now, and things like this, um, like all the stuff we've talked about, that it it seems like it's working towards being able to preserve it for the future of yeah. the sport, not just the here and now, you know, and, and things like supplemental feeding where it's not legal is is something, you know, to really consider in that, like that is for the here and now. Yeah. You're saying, I want to put a corn pile out so that right, so next week I can come out and Listen, kill an know, animal. One of the things is, you know, we talk about access and opportunity a lot. So Forever Wild program, I love it. It's a great program here in Alabama. Um, but, you know, we're, we're facing the era where the large, the super large wildlife management area is, is, is over. Mm-hmm. Right? It's those big 60,000, 85,000 acre blocks that are lead away. You're not going to see those again. You've seen some of that with uh, these uh, creation of the special opportunity area hunts, which I'm a big fan of. You know, smaller blocks really well managed you're getting some really good opportunities on those hunts. sure you're going to see more of those around the state coming up and then the forever wild program will be a big part of that georgia is doing somewhat a some somewhat similar program um, through the georgia outdoor stewardship act which we were we were um, largely in support of and played a lot a big part in um education on uh, there last year where they're taking a percentage of attacks and pulling in the, the GOSA fund and then exactly that. They're going to create more public access areas and opportunities throughout the state. So we're seeing folks kind of mimic some of the great things we have here in Alabama and even take it up a notch. Um, seeing that outdoor industry association number and treating our outdoor industry as an industry and an economic engine. Um, I think I think you'll start seeing more states in our laydown do do more of that. That's incredible. So, what are some what are some other things that we're we're kind of running a little bit low yeah. on time? We've been talking for a little bit, um, but before we before we get off of this, is there anything else part of this this like is beneficial to break down um, in this episode? I, I think I covered the main point. Most important thing to us: land and water conservation fund, and then the the, the permanent access for um, usage on, on the federal lands. To us, as, um, as Southern sportsmen, those are the two big things. Um, we'll see some, some, hopefully we'll see some more active forest management out of the, the forest management pieces of that. I encourage everybody to, to pull that thing up and just browse the topics. Mm-hmm. And you can see through the first four pages what interests you and then, and then jump right into it. That's what I did. And actually, I was a little bit intimidated coming in um, and talking to you about it. Just because, you know, the, the things that you talked about are the things that really yeah. stuck out to me. And I, and I probably could have talked about those to somebody else, you know, on my own. Um, but looking through that, it's like it I'm, is. I'm listen, missing listen. something. Something I, else is in here. I am not an attorney, and I can't. I don't interpret a lot of legalese. I go with the layman's, you know, op, uh, explanation. And in, in I always try to phrase things like this. 
if this was easy, what would it look like, right? And and that's kind of yeah. how, how I have to read those and try to try to spit it back out. That's awesome, man. Well, we we really do appreciate you breaking that down. Say say, is if somebody's listening to this, which there's bound to be somebody's listening to this that's like inspired yeah. by it. What would you say should be their next step to get involved in something like this? So, you know, if, if you're really passionate about our public lands or you want to get involved in hunting or you want to get involved in fishing, um, the best thing you can do right now is uh, go to backcountryhunters.org and, and find your local chapter. I'm not even asking you to join at this point, though Though the cost of entry is cheap. It's about $25 for a yearly men- membership. Most of us can find that laying around. Reach out to your local chapter, and what you're going to find is, is a couple things. You're going to find, one, a group of people that you relate to on day one. Okay. The yep. second thing you're going to find is a section of folks right there. If you le- want to learn how to hunt or you want to learn how to do something else, they're going to have a recruitment, retention, and reactivation coordinator whose sole purpose is to be there to help you. And they'll have programs. I mean, our chapters have butchering workshops and cooking workshops, all kinds of things, right? And, um, and they just, they grow every year. If you're a college student listening to this um, and involved, involved, we are actually working college clubs at most campuses. Um, happy to guide you in that direction too. You can always reach out and contact me. Parker will put my info in, in the show notes. Absolutely. That you can, uh, you can do that. Um, from a special project standpoint, we're looking at uh, really increasing our outreach program to our currently serving military and veteran community here um, across, but not just in the Southeast, but, but nationwide. That's one of the, my focus areas on, on the North American board. So um, you'll be start seeing more info on that program as we near the national rendezvous time in, uh, in 2019. The best thing you can do, if you don't hold a hunting or fishing license right now, go to your local Walmart, tell them you want a hunting or fishing license and, uh, and pay that really inexpensive fee in most cases. It is, it is very don't inexpensive. Don't forget the duck stamp. Yeah, get that duck, duck stamp. Yeah. Duck you can stamp kill too. at least one duck. For $20. Hey, right? listen, when, when, you, when, you buy your, when you buy your hunting license, you're going to get the opportunity to check a box and say, hey, yeah, for five extra dollars a year, I think, send me the monthly um, uh, Alabama Outdoors or Kentucky Outdoors or Mississippi Outdoors magazine. Check that box and, and start reading that quarterly publication or buy publication. And um, it will really amaze you some of the things that are available to your state that you may not know about. That's incredible. That's, I mean, man, I don't know. I don't know what else you could say really that would be more inspirational to somebody to joining backcountry hunters and anglers, becoming a part, get involved, um, find your find your chapter. You know, uh, it, it was it was kind of funny. It took me a while to to really decide to go ahead and do this yeah. do this thing and get involved. And um, man, I wish I would have done it so much earlier because I developed a lot of great friends through. It's a great BHA. Route, lots of great energy, you know. Well, look, and, and if I can plug the the most recent thing we're doing right now, so turkey season opens here in Alabama on March sixteenth. Um, so we I think it opened in Florida on March the second. Yeah. So we're running a. Um, it's not really a competition or a raffle, but we're running a program over the course of turkey season, our laydown. So it goes from March 2nd all the way through, I think, March 15th is the end of turkey season in, in the entire seven states out southeast 15th? region. I think so. Maybe. Not not Alabama. Right. But yeah. overall, uh, May 15th, I think, is the last day. We're calling it uh, Gobblers and Garbage. 
so so I told about me being a bad turkey hunter. So mostly I walk around and pick up trash and put my vest and carry it out. <laughs> so what we're doing is we want to do an event that captured the entire um, membership of the Southeast chapter. So can you participate in this no matter where you're at? The answer is yes. So when you're out turkey hunting on our public lands this year, um, take some, some plastic grocery bags that you get from the Quick Stop or Republics or your local shopping center. Take those with you in your bag. So if you you know if you're you're an advanced turkey hunter, you can you can mash that bag a little bit, and it'll crackle and it'll sound like a turkey scratching. So some folks use that as a call. So when you're done and you haven't killed a turkey and you're walking out because you scared them with your plastic bag, take that bag and fill it up with some trash that you pick up on the way out. If you hunt TVA land, I guarantee you you're going to find some trash. You're going to find a mattress. Yeah, (laughs) or a body. (laughs) So in in most places, you're going to find a fair amount of trash at the parking area or somewhere else. So so fill up a couple of bags. And what we're saying is those bags equal eight point. Send us a picture of those bags from the field and just tell us you know where you were at in general. We don't want your GPS point, right? You can tag us on social media at a hashtag Gobblers and Garbage, or you can email us, email it to us at our email address, and um, we're going to run a weekly leaderboard with that thing. Now, what if you go out and kill a bird on our public land? Well, we're going to take your bags of trash, and have one bag of trash to enter, um, times the length of your turkey beard to get your number of points. And we'll, at the end of the year, you can have multiple leaderboard entry, entries. We'll, we'll total up all those points. Grand prize is a 75-quart Yeti cooler. We'll do a prize for each state. Um, um, that prize will be, I think it's a uh, BHA hat or T-shirt, your choice. Or I think so, yeah. And then the, then the, we'll do a largest bird competition, which will uh, be beard length. And um, that'll be a $30 gift card to uh, hunt to eat. So for a guy like me who shoots a lot of jakes. Yep. Pick up a lot of trash. Uh, just pick up a lot of trash. <laughs> yep. And hey, this counts as scouting too, right? So I know some states start later. If you're out scouting this weekend or next weekend, collect some of that trash up while you're out. Enter yourself in the leaderboard. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. I was, I was actually going to get you to talk about that. To, yeah. To end I, I had to tell you, so I'm much. really excited about this. I think it's something that we can get lots of participation on. Yeah. And there's a low barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... And a pretty good prize. I think so. Yeti 75 quart cooler, that's no joke. That's right? pretty cool. So so it counts uh, for every turkey you kill, right? Like it, it, Yeah, so, it so good adds, example. Adds so, on top. so if I go hunting and I kill one, you know, say seven inch beard, pick up one bag of trash, I get seven points for that trip. The next time I go, I kill one five inch beard, but I get two bags of trash, I got 10 points. So I got trip number one at seven, trip two at 10. We'll total you up at the end of the year, that's awesome. all that, and we'll come up with our grand prize. That's awesome. I can tell you, I'll have to get a lot of trash to I, I will not kill two birds. <laughs> hey, now listen to your point. If you show up and, and you see that washing machine parked on the side of your WMA, just put your trash bag on the corner of that and take a picture of it and we'll count it. Okay. It's awesome. That'll work. We need to go by weight. <laughs> we need to go by weight. We, man, just, we wanted to use a simple unit of measure that everybody That's awesome. Have, you know? That's yeah. cool, man. Well, Jeff, man, we really do appreciate you coming on the show. As he said, get involved. Um, however it is that you want to get involved, um, buy a license, support BHA, become a member, um, go to a pint night, go to a, any, any kind of backcountry hunters and anglers. I promise if you're listening to this, there is a chapter somewhere close to you. So, um, so check it out. Yeah. Just, just opened our first, uh, our most recent chapter is Iowa. Officially yeah, I saw recognized that. yesterday. I saw that. That's really cool. And actually, uh, <laughs> Uh, I was going to send Dan Johnson. Do you know Dan? He's mm. he is the one who owns the sportsization, okay. which is what we uh, what we 
are a part of, and he runs the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And uh, he just had Lantani on his show that came out like last week, yeah. talking about BHA. And I was like, man, this is going to be really cool. There's not a whole lot of podcasts on the network that talk about BHA. Yeah. And then he did that, and I had this interview scheduled with you. I was like, we're just going to be a BHA network. Hey, you know what? Land's a great guest, and you know, if you really want to talk in depth about public lands issues, he is the guy That's to talk cool. to. He That's is cool. he is a passionate. And a and great advocate for our cause. Well, man, we feel the same way about you. So, really appreciate hey, it. Hey, man, really, I really appreciate it. It's been a good, a good hour spent. That's that's been great, man. Well, cool, Jeff. Before you go, what is some a way that people can get in contact with you? Uh, use my email. It's Jeffrey J E F F R E Y dot Jones J O N E S zero four at gmail dot com. I will get that twenty four seven, no matter where I'm at in the world. Cool. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much to Jeff for coming on the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. We really appreciate it. Man, what a awesome episode. So much good conversation there about our public lands. And if you're anything like me, I knew a lot of the highlights of the Natural um, Resources Management Act, but I didn't know in full detail everything. And so Jeff absolutely broke that down in a way that I could understand it. Hopefully you guys can understand it as well. So man, we just really appreciate Jeff coming on the show. I know this is not going to be the last time that you get to hear from him. Um, and so man, I'm, I'm just super stoked at the way that this, that that conversation turned out. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Um, hope you enjoy the show, this show, other shows, future shows. I am just super excited about where we are as a podcast with Southern Ground. Um, we couldn't do what we do without the companies that support us. First off, without the people that support us like you. Second, the companies that support us um, like Onyx, like New Breed, like Tethered, and like Go Wild. We couldn't do what we do if it weren't for them. And so huge shout out to them. As I said in the beginning, we're going to be announcing very soon a giveaway that we're going to do with Tethered. And I think you're going to want what we're giving away because it's really cool. Even if you already have what we're giving away, I think you're still going to want it because it's going to be even cooler than the one that you already have. So I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is going to be cool. It's going to be really freaking cool. So um, yeah, check out the YouTube channel if you have not done that. Um, we're putting a lot of content out. I made it a goal this year to put out a video every single week. And um, so far, it's been going pretty good. Um, currently, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but I'm currently sitting in a condo in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, because me and my wife are on our baby moon, which, by the way, I don't think I've even said anything about that on the podcast. My wife is pregnant, and it's my baby, which is really cool. Um, this is our second baby, and so right now we're on our our baby moon so I don't know that I'll be doing any uh, video editing or anything like that but I did just release a video of the hog that I smoked last week and uh, hopefully you guys have watched it if you haven't watched it go check it out maybe there's some other videos on the channel that is the Sportsman's Nation channel on YouTube lots of cool content there as always guys check us out on Instagram and on Facebook that's at Southern Ground Hunting and uh, like our stuff, share the stuff. Even if you don't like it, share it. It helps us out. We really appreciate that. Um, give us a thumbs up. Not a thumbs up. I'm so used to stinking YouTube videos right now. <laughs> give us a five-star review on Apple, on iTunes. 
give us a five-star review if you like the show. Even, again, if you didn't like it, give us a five-star review because that really helps us out and it builds our confidence and confidence is everything. All right, that's it. I'm a little bit tired. I'm full. I ate it at a, what did I have, fish tacos today, and so I'm like super full right now. Um, But as always, guys, God gave us dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So make sure you go out and exercise that dominion. I will talk to you next time.